stay up to date and engage with the financial world. You're listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. After Russian President Vladimir Putin announced his invasion of Ukraine on February 24th, Western countries almost immediately leveled some of the most extreme economic sanctions we have ever seen. This included banning Russian banks from the SWIFT payments network, expropriating $300 billion of Russian foreign currency reserves held at Western central banks, and banning the export of certain technology products. In addition to formal sanctions, private companies have also joined in. Over 1,000 Western businesses have voluntarily curtailed their operations in the country. Western economists and commentators were quick to predict the demise of the Russian economy, with some predicting as much as a 12% contraction of GDP in 2022. But six months into the war, Russia's economy is still chugging along. And it looks like the sanctions may be hurting the European Union more than they're hurting Russia. The second quarter is the first full quarter after the sanctions were implemented. Russia experienced a GDP decline of 4%, which is not great, but a far cry from the 12% that some analysts were predicting. The IMF recently increased its full-year forecast of Russian GDP from negative 10% to negative 6%. At the same time, the economic picture is getting increasingly bleak in Europe. Reduced natural gas supplies are causing a cost-of-living crisis across Europe, with inflation expected to soar to record levels across the EU and UK. In Russia, consumer prices are actually falling, in large part thanks to the massive rally in the ruble. The Russian ruble has become the single best-performing currency of 2022, increasing more than 20% versus the US dollar. The Russian stock market has also stabilized after the Moscow exchange resumed trading in late March. As of the time of recording this video, the Russian MOEX index has fallen by 41% since the beginning of the year. But remember that the ruble has appreciated significantly. If you denominate this in terms of US dollar value, the Russian stock market has only declined by 27%. This performance is slightly better than the German stock market, which has fallen by 31% in US dollar terms. So what's going on? Has Russia succeeded in overcoming the sanctions, or does their day of reckoning still lie ahead? Prior to the war, the Russian economy was doing pretty well. The pandemic caused a recession in 2020, but they quickly rebounded in 2021, thanks to high energy export volumes. In the second quarter of 2022, the economy contracted by 4% in real terms as a shock of the economic sanctions set in. The effect of the sanctions was not spread out evenly, with some sectors feeling far more pain than others. Every month, the Russian government releases a report, giving a whole host of statistics about the Russian economy. As of the time of recording this video, the most recent one is for June. Based on this economic data, it appears that the most painful aspects of the sanctions are export controls of high-tech products. The single hardest hit sector was automobile production, which fell by 62%. This category includes things like commercial trucks and trailers. If we look at just regular cars, the declines are even worse, but we'll get more into that later. Interestingly, the second hardest hit sector was cigarette manufacturing. This is the result of two massive British tobacco companies, British American Tobacco and Imperial Brands, pulling out of the country. Western multinationals employed about 12% of the Russian workforce before the war. Many analysts predicted mass unemployment as these companies shut down operations, with some of the most extreme predicting 40% unemployment. As it turns out, the opposite happened. Unemployment has decreased since the war began and currently sits at 3.9%, which is a near-record low. The vast majority of Western companies that pulled out can easily be restarted. Tobacco farming and cigarette manufacturing are not rocket science. Russia will be able to ramp production back up to pre-war levels in a relatively short amount of time. 
Most of the Western businesses that have left have been sold to Russian oligarchs or state-owned companies for bargain basement prices. They may require a few months to adjust and rebrand, but the new Russian ownership should be able to get things back up and running eventually. For example, McDonald's sold its 800 Russian locations to an oligarch who rebranded it with a new Russian name. It serves pretty much the exact same food and all the employees have kept their jobs. Western clothing brands including H&M have also pulled out. These foreign brands have become very popular among the younger generations in Russia who view them as exotic. These Western brands will be replaced by Russian brands. While they may or may not be as stylish, it's not going to be a big deal. And this takes us to the things which would be harder for Russia to recreate. The first issue is automobile manufacturing. Avto VAZ is the largest domestic automobile manufacturer in Russia, making the Lada branded cars. It was previously structured as a joint venture between the French auto giant Renault and a state-owned Russian company. After the Ukraine invasion began, Renault sold its 67% stake for 1 ruble and stopped providing technical and supply chain support. Unable to source Western parts, Avto VAZ was forced to shut down production. Other large multinational auto manufacturers including Toyota and Volkswagen have also pulled out of the country. Also, the value of the ruble tanked by 40% after the first few weeks of the invasion. This effectively made all imported products 70% more expensive. So even for companies who were willing to export to Russia, the prices became unaffordable for more Russian consumers. Unsurprisingly, this caused a massive decrease in new car sales, which troughed in May at 24,000. This represented an 84% decline from the prior year, and it's fair to call this a complete collapse of the industry. But since then, things have improved somewhat. In June, Avto VAZ restarted production of the Lada Granta Classic. It is a very basic car, and it does not even include a digital infotainment system. But it will drive you from point A to point B, and it is very affordable, with a retail price of equivalent of about 10,000 US dollars. New car sales recovered slightly to 32,000 by July, but this is still down 75% from the same month last year. As the ruble has rebounded, Chinese car companies like Geely are slowly starting to increase exports to the country. Now that Western brands are shunning the country, Chinese exporters have a significant opportunity to gain market share. The next sector of the Russian economy which will be hit particularly hard is technology. Almost all Western semiconductor manufacturers, including those based in the US, Europe, South Korea, and Taiwan, have halted sales to Russia. Semiconductors are essential for all types of electronic devices, from smartphones to personal computers to data centers. Importantly, they are also used in advanced military equipment, anything that has an electronic interface like an airplane, helicopter, drones, and tanks. Russia does have some domestic semiconductor companies which can design microchips, but almost all of them were manufactured by contract foundries in Taiwan and Europe. Currently, the most advanced CPU that Russia can manufacture domestically is 90 nanometers. For CPUs, the lower the nanometers, the better the performance. For comparison, the Taiwanese semiconductor giant TSMC can make 3 nanometer chips. Russia uses its 90 nanometer chips for domestically manufactured Elbrus 401 personal computers. It's a very low quality computer that can browse the web but not much else. One potential lifeline for the Russian electronics industry is their close trade ties with China, which has not participated in the economic sanctions. China has invested tens of billions of dollars in its domestic chip industry. While still not cutting edge, they can make chips for simple electronic devices and even CPUs for low-performing cell phones and PCs. But there is still one major problem. Many Chinese semiconductor companies license software and other intellectual property from US companies. This gives the US leverage to prevent sales to Russia. For example, in 2018, the CFO of Chinese telecom giant Huawei was arrested in Canada. 
she allegedly violated U.S. sanctions by reselling U.S.-made computer equipment to Iran. The U.S. has warned that if any Chinese semiconductor company sells chips to Russia that have any U.S. inputs, the U.S. will retaliate with export bans. And thus far, China has complied. But these restrictions do not cover all Chinese chips. For some of the more basic microchips, China has completely localized the value chain and is free to sell them to Russia. Russian PC manufacturers have already reconfigured some of their motherboards to use these Chinese-made chips. According to data compiled by the consulting firm Merix, Chinese semiconductor exports to Russia have more than tripled in the second quarter of 2022. While these chips are better than the domestically produced Russian ones, they're 5 to 10 years behind the Western chips that Russia used to import. They can perform most basic functions, but you won't be able to play high-performance video games or process large enterprise workloads. While Russia's electronics and automobile industries are under severe strain, these sectors only make up a tiny percentage of their industrial base, as they have historically imported most of these products anyway. Their total industrial output has recovered in recent months, and in July it was just 0.5% lower than the prior year. The resilience of industrial output is largely thanks to their booming energy industry. Shortly after the invasion, the US and UK banned the import of Russian crude, and many European companies stopped imports for PR reasons, even though they are not required to do so by law. Russia started sending this oil to willing buyers in Asia instead, particularly India and China. As of July, Russian oil production has declined by only 2% versus pre-war levels. In the beginning, they had to sell this for discounts of up to $35 per barrel. But as Indian and Chinese refiners have set up the infrastructure to handle more imports, that discount has shrunk to about $10. Also, once the oil is refined, it's almost impossible to prove its origin. The refined products could easily end up in countries like South Korea and Japan, which ban Russian crude. This has been a massive windfall for India and China, as they get to buy Russian oil at cheap prices. Interestingly, Saudi Arabia has also doubled its imports of Russian oil. This might seem weird at first. Saudi Arabia is the largest oil exporting country in the world. Why would they need to import any from Russia? They're buying Russian oil at a discount to use for their own domestic consumption. This frees up more of their own production for export to Europe, which they can sell for higher prices. Overall, the energy sanctions against Russia have been somewhat of a joke. They have only succeeded in increasing energy prices in the West and providing a massive windfall for countries who don't sign on to them. High energy prices as well as Western export restrictions means more money is coming into Russia than is going out. The country recorded a current account surplus of $167 billion from January through July, which is more than triple the same period last year. Most of these have been earned by state-owned energy companies, so it's directly filling up the Kremlin's coffers. Putin now has a massive war chest that he can use to subsidize high-tech industries to substitute for Western imports. The Russian government recently approved $40 billion to build up domestic semiconductor manufacturing, and they plan to make completely homegrown 28 nanometer CPUs by 2030. TSMC first started producing 28 nanometer chips in 2011. So even if Russia meets its target, they'll still be 20 years behind. Russia is turning into a cash-rich but technology-poor country. It will take decades for them to catch up to where the West is today in terms of semiconductors and other high-tech industries. But this doesn't mean that they'll be thrown back to the Stone Ages. They can still import finished consumer electronics like smartphones and personal computers. It looks like China may end up being the biggest economic beneficiary of the situation. Chinese smartphone brands including Xiaomi have seen their sales more than double compared to the prior year. Interestingly, Nokia-branded smartphones have also seen massive growth in the country. Nokia itself has stopped sales of its telecommunications equipment to Russia. 
but Nokia sold the rights to its brand name to a Chinese company a few years ago, who were actively selling smartphones to Russia. As long as oil and natural gas prices remain high, the ruble will remain strong, and ordinary Russian citizens can freely buy electronics from China. While the Western sanctions are certainly not good for the Russian economy, the results have not been nearly as catastrophic as many Western leaders probably intended. You've been listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. Don't miss a minute wherever you go. Wall Street Millennial, signing out.